0: I am a segment producer at The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, where I've worked for seven (laughs) years.
1: I was on the balcony smoking a joint with two guys. Boofing. (laughs) I'm (laughs) so
0: impressed. So did I get it? Welcome back to... Buckle Up,
2: baby. Episode 36. (laughs) Michael, we're on a roll with the guests here today. Very excited to bring to the Buckle Up studio... Neil Goldman,
0: welcome. Thank you very much.
2: Uh quick little intro, and then I'll let you take it from here, Neil. Uh, Neil and I go way, way, way back, elementary school. I've We've Had a lot of gaps in the time that we've interacted, but we always pick it up where we left off. I always find that to be a nice thing, you know, with a friend where we can always just get right to it. So um, we've had a theme here on the show where we have people from sort of our community and our similar background. And there's a few of us who've gone out to do things sort of outside the typical box of careers and those kinds of things. And you have a cool job. So that's kind of neat. We could talk about that. In the meantime, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do.
0: First of all, thank you guys for having me on the podcast. (laughs) The audience went wild. You could hear them all over town when you guys introduced me. Mm And uh, it's great to finally have you back on the East Coast. It took us a while, 10 years, dabbled in LA with the green juices and the (laughs) hikes and the walks around the block once. The spiritual
1: cult he got involved in. I'm I'm 10 pounds heavier than one. Finally reeled you back to Anglewood, New (laughs) Jersey. It's it's great to have you here.
0: Mm. Um, Work-wise, my job is, I am a segment producer at The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, where I've worked for seven (laughs) years. Uh, Which is kind of crazy. I started three months before the show started. Mm -hmm. And in short, my job is to prepare Stephen Colbert for a bunch of his interviews with the guests. And we can get into that a little bit or a lot a bit. But all these shows, whether it's a comedy show or a news show, there are producers behind the scenes who are curating what you see on television so Mm -hmm. that it's not just the conversation you'd see if you ran into this person on the subway and we're just chatting and it's working for you you're gonna be making a living <laughs> <laughs> it's good for
2: now don't so. you love i love the question like when you do things outside of the norm it's like how does that work that's that's code for yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and how does that yeah, work yeah, it's, it's working for you because you're working for it, Is it working <laughs> for you? like i just see it all the time well um, tell
0: me We're on this podcast, Buckle Up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How did this all start? What are we buckling up for here?
2: This is
1: what happens when you get a segment producer guest.
2: He just flips it on
1: you. (laughs) (laughs) Holy
0: shit. Yeah, Go Um, ahead, Michael. um,
1: How did Buckle Up start? Ami Ami and I have always talked. (laughs) Um, And so when Ami started making content more seriously, like on his list of to-dos, it was like, I should have a podcast. And me and Michael should do it together. But he was in L.A. So it was always kind of like not feasible. And then, like the first week you moved to uh, back to the east coast, I think it was like I think I said, I was like, if we don't do it in the first 30 days, you're back, it's never happening. Mm-hmm. like you, we have to like we're going to get into a routine and everything, so like if you want to do it, like we should talk about doing it. And then Ami really just took the reins and like was like, "Come over today." Um, he gave me like a nice mic, and we just started so this idea,
0: this idea is mm-hmm. how many years old?:
2: Not even or a six. year. Oh the oh, no, idea yeah, we
1: were talking about doing a podcast for a long time
0: um but oh you
1: know what during covid we did it during covid right we tried we did and ha- like have you been growing
0: COVID. that beard since since it's in <laughs> i
1: started completely fantastic. clean shaven and <laughs> during uh, the start of the podcast fantastic. episode one he looked like a baby normally I ask people how are
0: you how are your kids with with this beard, i feel like i should ask you how's your brewery <laughs> it's just it's a fantastic <laughs> it sort of beard like,
2: it was sort of like we we had some random hookups during covid but it didn't like materialize right. and now it's, now, it's, now we're yeah, dating yeah. it's fantastic
0: and <laughs> buckle up the podcast name the that's my. i wrote a tv pilot about a guy with a
1: podcast on like the Kind of fringe right conspiracy theory world. And it, the podcast was called Buckle Up, and the series was called Buckle Up. So, you never told me that. Where it came from? Yeah, yeah, I didn't tell you. I, th- I think I might have mentioned it, but uh, we were thinking of names, and I was like, um, "We went with the pilot got sent around. No one wants to buy it, so we're like, like, oh, I might as well like use it. It's a good name.' No one wanted
0: it then. Let's see if we can push it now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't come up with something new. Oh, take no, way too
1: much effort. The feedback I got back was great name. You're an awful writer. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: yeah. So actually, we one of the themes that we spoke about in the early episodes was. How to take ideas that sit in your head and actually turn them into uh, tangible, real things? Because especially with creativity, maybe you could talk about this. I'm sure you get a lot of people who say, "Oh, I got these ideas for things." Neil, and you're on, you're in the industry. Like, but everyone is always, you know, just circulating ideas. And one of the things was like, what do, you, what does one need to do? Because it's happened with me where I've been on both sides of it. As Michael said, I started doing content, but for years I was like, man, I should do more stuff online. I, I want, I, I should do stuff, I, but. To go from that step of things being these just amorphous ideas to actually turning them into something, you know, you could tell yourself, just do it. But what, what, I don't mean, know, maybe you could speak to it. Like, what do you see as the difference between someone who actually is like all talk versus things that are real?
0: There are some people who are just a seeming green light where they're mm-hmm. just like, go, go, go. And my instinct is yellow light, mm-hmm. red light. No, no. Yeah, let's wait. Let's polish it more. Let's hash it out before we just do it. And then there's other people who are just throwing stuff against the wall. I admire those people. One of those people is a friend of mine whose big thing lately is to have accountability bets, which Mm. you guys may have heard of with uh, quite a lot of money. So he'll say, let's make a bet that if you don't whatever it is you want to do a month from now or whatever an appropriate time frame is, you owe me a thousand bucks. Literally, you owe me a thousand bucks and I'm not gonna give it to charity. I'm gonna go buy myself a nice watch, a nice meal, whatever it is. And whether it's just that mental trick of Mm -hmm. knowing you have that deadline or if it's just this real desire to not wanna lose a lot of money, he has found that it really helps people get stuff done. And so his fiance wants to write more articles to submit for publication. And I was hanging out with the two of them and we went into a town where his parents have a summer house. And I said, where is she? And he he said, and she apologized later on. She's like, I'm so sorry. I'm grinding on these two articles because I don't want to pay him $500, which is a lot of money for me. And she got it done. So one idea would be have an accountability partner who's literally like, you owe me a grand if in two weeks you haven't recorded one podcast episode.
2: Does it work if you do it in cents? Incense, yeah.
0: No, but I think that's also big, it's almost- But like, that's amazing. Like This person was like, I am embarrassed to say, this is a chunk of like, a chunk of money yeah. for me. I am not not finishing these articles. And so basically you have to play mental tricks on yourself. hundred percent. And the other thing is to have a framework. Like I miss essay writing in school because you know, in two weeks that's mm. due. right? And with the creative stuff that I do at my job and I have done, there's a framework, a guest is coming on the show or there are very real deadlines. And I think if you could find a framework for yourself somehow and enforce it and having money on the line or having an accountability partner Mm -hmm. is one way of doing that, then I think it helps turn these ideas, which can marinate forever without getting done. Mm -hmm. It's a way of making them into a reality. Having been around
1: someone as prolifically creative and successfully creative as Stephen Colbert, do you find that, Someone operating that level needs something like that, or do you think
0: um, it 's like some, something more inborn or- no i think I think he does need structure. He yeah. has the structure of the show
1: mm-hmm.
0: absolutely he He has the structure of knowing that every night at five thirty he 's going on stage, and so it 's got to get done can 't come out there and say, We're "'So sorry, we just it 's still marinating mm-hmm. no there 's a show every night and but like, what's he like? It's, it's, yeah. I think you need to. I think most people need to yeah. operate within a structure. Yeah, I guess. Um,
1: I guess the real question I'm asking is like, um, I've never been around someone that like, iconically like good at what they do. I guess like, um, hmm. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. like on that level, like, I guess, I guess my real question is like, um, when having been around him and, and then other people, and like, we can get into all the people you've been around, but like, do do you feel like You know, when you're on them, like you're like they're just different than other people. No, not at all. I like that answer.
0: Truly, not at all. I like that answer. Yeah. (laughs) Frankly, I always believe that. Funniest people. It is a process. The word that I am not a fan of, but you hear constantly is it's an iterative process. Iterative, Iterative, meaning iteration after iteration. Which in Mm -hmm. my background, which comes from more, I'm. Much more from a writing background, Mm -hmm. drafts. Like you write something and then you revise it and then you wait a couple days so you can get fresh perspective on it and you revise it again and you sharpen it and you sharpen it until your deadline hits and then you're like, as good as this is as good as it's going to get because it needs to go out to the world. And most of the people that I've worked with, they could be, they're some of the funniest, most creative people in the world, are full of bad ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of being committed to the process of constantly working and being creative, getting rid of the bad ideas so that the good ideas are there and can be presented to the world. It's no different than seeing Dave Chappelle or whoever it is at the Comedy Cellar and people are like, how was it? And you're like, it was okay. You know, there was some really funny stuff. They do that all around so that when you see the Netflix special, it's the best of the best stuff. I had a uh, lyric writing
2: teacher in Berkeley who used to tell us all the time, write crap, write a lot of crap because crap is the best fertilizer.
0: Oh, that's good. I like that. And, and
2: he would say, just keep in mind, you're all like looking up and pedestooling all these people, but you've only heard Bob Dylan's best 10%. And the other 90 is just gone and and as part of the fertilizer that got it to Next you. time
0: yeah. I see uh somebody in New York City, you know, a homeless person taking a dump in the street, I'll be like, they're fertilizing <laughs> the concrete. They're fertilizing <laughs> the sidewalk over on 23rd Street. He wasn't saying take literal shits, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> but but the idea is I do I like this,
2: I like that answer about. That it's really the hardest working people. It's talent, but it's it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. It's more this idea of the de- demystifying that celebrity mystery. Yes, yeah.
0: I think it's they're all like human beings. Like you us. you do yourself a they, disservice to think yeah. that these people are on a different plane. Granted, a lot of people who I've worked with do seem to be on a different plane, and their brain just works so much faster. Uh-huh. I don't think you're going to sit in a room with Robin Williams and say, "Yeah, he's just like us. He's yeah. just a different speed." Well, and I, I would. And that sort of thing. But that's like mo- a lot of writers will say, you know, whatever percent, 50, 70%, 80% of writing is rewriting. You just get it on paper and then you sharpen it and you sharpen it. But when it comes to creative work, I often think about the Israeli writer Amos Oz, who said he thinks of his job as a writer. He said, I'm a shopkeeper. My job is every morning at eight o'clock or nine o'clock to open the shop, sit at a desk with a pen and a piece of paper for three, four hours, keep the shop open. Sometimes I'll get a lot of customers Mm. and there will be inspiration and I'll have great ideas and great work will come out of it. Other times nobody will come. That I can't really control. My job is to be committed to opening the store and keeping it open. I love that. And so I find a lot of the really creative people, Colbert being one of Mm. them, they are committed to Consecrating that time and defending Mm -hmm. that time for creative work. you know
1: Tony Gilroy, he wrote uh The Firstborn Yeah, he said he said you're probably only gonna get one, maybe two good ideas a year, but you better be sitting at your desk when that idea comes. Mm -hmm. Right. That and that's the difference between someone who does it professionally and someone who doesn't. Or you'll
0: get that great idea and you'll think, Oh, I'll remember this in the morning, or I'll I'll write it down when I get home. And then Mm You don't even—not even that you can't remember the idea. You don't even remember to try to remember yeah, the idea. It's, the de- it's I, just so—it's the
1: devil in your head. Much saying, lost. Someone, yeah. I, another writer said, if that voice in your head that says "I'll remember" is the devil talking yeah. to you. Oh, <laughs> I'll never yeah. Remember.
2: Voice notes, everything, just saying things when they come to you. Yeah, I have that ready at all times. But I also love the idea that it's uh, process oriented and that this this like narrative or portrayal of the inspired artist who just gets bestowed these gifts from another realm and then channels it is, is really not true most of the time. I, I don't think it is. But
0: there are some people who are much more creative than others. Mm-hmm. And like with anything, it, with sports, you could I could be committed to doing the work and the mm-hmm. training. There are just some people with more God-given gifts, whether it comes to songwriting yeah. or
2: mm-hmm.
0: sports or whatever it is, that's for sure, but...
2: In terms of talent versus hard work, do you, what would you say wins out more often though? If someone who has the natural creative talent versus the guy who doesn't, but
1: I mean, you'd him. of
0: course love to say hard work, but who knows?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're also you're only around people who have been successful already, so it's hard to say.
0: Yeah, like
1: you're not um, you're in a caliber already. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they've already gotten there.
0: I think it's it's. I think I've seen hard work outwork. Yeah, I've seen
2: how i the I've seen the harder work out. Outworked uh surpassed the talent.
0: For sure. But you could also see hard work that sucks. No, that doesn't (laughs) come to fruition. Like I remember Christoph Waltz was a nut completely unknown actor in Europe. And then all of a sudden, Quentin Tarantino's casting director discovered him in Mm -hmm. Vienna or wherever it was. And I think he gave he said this during his speech when he won the Golden Globes. He said, you turned my little world into Quentin, a golden Quinton, you know globe. what you
2: did for me? Quinton, you turned it around <laughs> <Quentin>. for me.
0: <laughs> but he said, it, he's like, I'm no better actor now. Yeah, yeah It's yeah. not like all of a sudden my acting chops just got much better exponentially. It's just that the hard work intersected with opportunity and a lot of people work really hard and it doesn't intersect with opportunity Uh,
2: this is something that is a debate in my head because you always hear this like follow your dreams porn all over like instagram and youtube about hard work and you know if you're talented you you know because i do think if you're talented naturally and you put in the work i mean it's just a matter of time and you just if you stay dedicated to the process you play the long game but at the same time we don't see all the people who didn't make it
0: right Right, no, 100%. You don't
2: see them. So, of course, to everyone, everyone who's, may, who's saying that, in words of encouragement, have made it to a certain level already. So there's something dangerous about that advice, but I guess there's nothing else you can do but take it for what it is with a grain of salt and put in the hours. and, well, well, and can, the, uh, What's the word? Iteration, iteration?
0: An iteration. Yeah, yeah. Iterative process. Iterative lot, process. You hear yeah. that a lot in tech, like try something if it doesn't work get Rid of it and try and yeah, fail fast. What's
1: that? Yeah, fail, fail fast. fast. What were you yeah. saying, Michael? um No, well, so, well, something like what you're saying of like the, the achieve your dreams porn, like something I've learned over the last few years, um, this coincides with the opportunity thing is like you have to, all of this is not happening in a vacuum, it's happening within a market. Like, Christoph Waltz is working within a market mm-hmm. and like what you can do besides work hard and be talented is think about the market and like what you're doing and how to position yourself better or worse. Mm -hmm. Cause like the, the, like the best actors don't always win out and like the opportunity doesn't always come along. So like a, you have to be prepared to just be dedicated to your craft and die as, as a, a a working actor Mm -hmm. who got to live his life that way or think really calculatingly about the market and like decide where to live and what, you know, what to do about it. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, that, that's something that you don't hear in those Instagram in, in those influencers. But I,
2: I still lean more towards the optimistic side of that because I've just seen it myself where, you know, you've definitely seen this where someone goes, oh, my God, you're you're on like Stephen Colbert. Like, that's crazy. How did that happen? As if it just happened. Right. So I actually want to take that point and segue into the early days of getting into this world of media. You know, that you're in like I in my case and and it was getting into music and there was a process to doing that of going to music school and then being an intern and all that. So I'm curious in your case, what what's the process of starting early days, rising in the ranks in that hierarchy of this space that you're in, which is interesting to me because it's like the mirror side of there's the creative side and the production side. They're all working together. So
0: tell us. I never thought about i mean just broadcast my own irresponsibility i never thought about career Mm -hmm. or anything like that i when i was at yeshiva university i thought why don't i take advantage of being in college in new york city which is the center of so many things and let me see if i can intern somewhere can i ask you
1: can i enter everything was that was that an original thought or did you have a parent or mentor say say neil what are you doing like take advantage of being in new york
0: No, that was an original thought, for sure. I just thought I should supplement what I'm doing here with some interesting experience. It would be cool to be out there in the world, in Uh the city. And so I thought one of the shows that I loved because my grandparents watched it was Charlie Rose. Mm -hmm. For people who don't know, black background, round wooden table, no commercials, interesting long form conversations with successful people from all walks of life. Artists, doctors, politicians, scientists, like everything, athletes.
2: It's like a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of was.
0: Um, some people would would ask what, what makes it worth television. Why couldn't it just be a podcast, which is a separate conversation. But so I wrote a letter to the internship coordinator as a sophomore. And because it was Yeshiva University and there's a double curriculum, I didn't really have the time to go intern other than on Fridays, which I wanted free to do errands, go away for the weekend, Mm -hmm. be hungover, Mm -hmm. etc. So when I graduated, I thought, why don't I pick that up again? And I thought, what would be a dream job? I don't have any responsibilities now. The advice I'm getting from people who I trust is find something you're passionate about and pursue it. So... There were four, I literally sat down with a sheet of loose leaf paper and wrote a list, and the four places that came up were the NBA, mm-hmm. the New Yorker, the New York Times, and Charlie Rose. Those were the places that I thought would be And incredible. you're
2: 23 when this is happening?
0: Yeah, I just graduated school, however this old is that is. That's not normal. Most people are like, huh. I, I remember so clearly
1: <laughs> where I was when I heard you got the internship at Charlie Rose. Really? I was or- online for Phoebe's in oh, wow. downtown for someone's birthday party. And I remember someone mentioning that Neil Goldman got an internship at Charlie Rose. And I thought it was like my, you blew my mind. I was like, I thought
0: I was so excited. Yeah, but how did I, it happen? You I wrote I these things down? What, yeah.
1: You know, I was, I was like, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know we could do that. I didn't know we were, we're allowed to do that. And yeah, like, right. how, how do you even start with that? And like, and, and it was, it was more like, how do you even begin to say, I want to do that and then pursue it. Like, I, I didn't know anyone that was doing that at the time. It was mm-hmm. really novel.
2: Did you it feel, was, yeah, yeah, did you feel the sense of, it sounds like you were talking to people and they said, do what you're passionate about. That's not the typical modern orthodox per- parental apparatus response to, like, career time. It's usually, no, but like, I thought, here's what you can do. You know, Neil, you probably should look oh. into this and this and this. Like, you know, the, the chosen careers of business. Well,
0: everyone me. from Yeshiva University... Goes into television, television production. I tried to be a doctor and they said, we don't have a pre-med track here. Uh, and I really wanted to be a rabbi. Oh. I still have the beard. And they just said, not here, not here. Uh, no, I thought, I, you know, I was young, don't have major responsibilities, had parents who were emotionally supportive, financially supportive in the sense that we're like, you want to live at home and we're happy to mm-hmm. let you do it. And they saw that I was motivated, which I think, is striking. When anyone's motivated to do anything, I think it catches people's eyes. Sure. and I was, mm-hmm. I was really excited about it. Of that, of the list of those four places, I thought the only thing I've ever wanted to do, my only childhood dream per se, really was playing the NBA. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. ain't happening. And I didn't want... Yeah. Neil, listen, I want to talk to you about this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Follow your dreams, man. No, Just long, I, you you know, some long people enough. love
0: to coach. Some people love fantasy sports. They want to move the pieces and be a general manager. Some people love the communications aspect of it and this Mm -hmm. and that or the business side of it. I only ever really wanted to play. That wasn't happening. That would be a
2: tease. If you were on the other side of it watching everybody play, I feel like that, everyone's like, my dad used to say with music too. He'd be like,
0: "You yeah, know, focus on the business a little bit.
2: You know, maybe you might want to go into the business side. You manage right. a couple artists." I'm like, "There is nothing I'd rather do less right. than yeah. manage
0: somebody else's
2: artistic dream."
0: Right. <laughs> Although it could, maybe me. it's cool to be around it, but maybe it just burns you. For because me, you think, if I
2: would have a desire to make it, it's, it seems like the obvious choice. Oh, then just be into music management or things. But right. I'd rather be far away from it. Yeah, than not doing it. Yeah. But anyway, I'm always so-
0: worried that if you get too close to it, will it? Ruin right. one of your loves, right. mm-hmm. which yeah. is devastating. Because how many things do you truly love? And if you really love it, maybe just let it exist. But now away we're in, from you.
2: now we're in your overthinking brain. Yeah, pr- yeah. probably. Which so anyway, so a NBA cool was out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, New Yorker. I just thought I don't know. Condé Nast you hear it can be a tough place to work, and yeah. it was kind of a toss up between the New York Times and Charlie Rose. And I thought, did you want to write? By the way, was that the no, I just wanted to work for the show just, in whatever capacity. I love the show.
1: At uh, the New Yorker, was the idea to be a
0: writer or just? It was just be to in the get company at all these places. The vision was simply get a foot in the door, gotcha. get coffee for whoever needs coffee, but be in, be a, in a place, yeah. soak up everything you could soak up, take right. mental notes and just educate yourself and right. see what it's like to work at one of these places. How does it get made these things that you love? So also funny because in like
1: 2008, 2009, like YouTube and podcasts and Instagram, like you didn't know what it was like. Now, if, if you're if you're in high school, you can get a really good idea of what it's like to work at The New Yorker through, through social media. Like Follow them. Th- there was no, there's there no window into yeah. that world. Oh, I, I disagree. Yeah, yeah.
0: I disagree with that. I think, I think, uh, you get experience making a podcast, but you don't know what it's like to have a really sharp editor give you feedback on your work. And wow, that's really, no, but you no, get no, a- no,
1: no, no, but, but I mean, like, um, even like, um, like I, I, I never heard a writer speak or like be interviewed. Like, like um, there was no
0: exposure. For there was no this exposure
1: to, to to that to that corner of the world. I oh, guess. meaning you
0: could hear people talk about what their experiences. Like, yeah, yeah, like, or, yeah, what they
1: do. Yeah, what it's like to work at the New York. or yeah, what the totally. office, what it's like to be an investigative journalist. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it was hard to come across that sort of content. Yeah, um, e- even just ten years ago. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, yeah. Just, In our day, going yeah. into this
2: world, it was fully mysterious. Yeah. What's
1: it like behind this
2: door? Now, there everyone's putting out representations of themselves. Right. So you at least got some facade as to what it could be like, what that culture is like. Yeah. You could right, DM right, right. people, right. you could people everything is more so, accessible
1: now, more exposed. That so, makes so, sense, so when yeah. you say you just wanted to get a foot in the door, I under, I understand that of mm-hmm. like I just want to know what all this is about. Yeah, Where and I want like to wanna be I want to be
0: in the room yeah. even if I'm just the one quietly dropping off a coffee i want to know what it is like totally. to be in the room and see how it's put together yeah
2: I, I wonder if noobs coming in now have that attitude which is the attitude i come from too it's like i just want to be around it and be a sponge and now it's like i got ideas and you're like right. 22 <laughs> tw- i don't know that's maybe you may be right i, I think i of a get off of, my lawn guy in it, terms
0: of education where yeah. i want to be educate myself in from these professors in this right. world even if it's not an academic setting, obviously. So anyway, so it was a toss up New York Times, Charlie Rose. I thought Charlie Rose is out there in the world. It's on TV every night. People Mm -hmm. are talking about it every night. Why don't I do that? And so I called up the show to make sure that I had the name of the internship coordinator. So I didn't Mm -hmm. just write to whom it may concern. Try to distinguish yourself in any way you can. And I had the name from two years prior. She was no longer the internship coordinator. It was a guy named Adam Waller. And the girl who picked up the phone, sound it sounded like a young voice. And she gave me the name of the internship coordinator. And I thought I might as well pick her brain and get some tips. What should I throw in this, this a cold cover call? letter? Cold okay. call.
1: How did you get the number for the Charlie Rose show?
0: On the Princeton Review of Internships mm. listing, I think. Cool. And I called up and I said, if you don't mind my asking, are you an intern? And she said, mm. yes, I am. I said, can I ask you some questions? She said, sure. And I started asking her some questions about the show. And she I could hear her start to get uncomfortable, and she said, "Can we talk like at a later time?" And I said, "Sure." I later learned that Charlie Rose is in the Bloomberg Building, whose ethos is transpar- transparency, so it's a huge open bullpen. Mm. So she's fielding questions uh, about the internship two feet from someone else, and the whole office is open. Anyway, I speak to this girl. This girl so named that
1: was going a different direction. <laughs> this girl named Barry Berger.
0: So I put in the intern. I put in the cover letter. <laughs> yeah. This is why I. Love the show. Yeah. This is why I think I'd be a good fit, willing to do the the little things to make to help make the mm. show run. How were you thirty five when you were twenty three? This doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like we didn't know how to speak
2: like and, this. And yeah.
0: and then I say, I, this is why I think I'm a Ramaz. good fit. I and cool. yeah. I say, Ramaz? and from having <laughs> spoken to my friend Barry Berger. <laughs> yes, like yeah. what, what skills? <laughs> I, I don't. I've lost this savvy over the years. Don't need somehow. it anymore because you don't need it. I, I've the, the bullshit. Burger, now you do I real say, things. Barry Burger, um, I'm even more sure that this is a good fit. Like, thank you for your consideration. Like, you know, 24 hours later, the guy calls me in for an interview. First thing he says to me, what do you think it is? How do you know Barry? Exactly. He goes, so you know Barry? And what did I say? She's great. (laughs) She's so smart and she's so helpful. I'm telling you,
2: Ramaz in the
0: 90s bred a different species of Jew. Look at you. We
2: came out fresh. And it was one of those
0: classic, I'm wearing like this semi-pinstripe suit tie as you know strangling me it's so tight so sort of uptight I walk in with like my best version of a briefcase and shine shoes the the guy's looking at me like so there is a prep school on the (laughs) upper east side of Manhattan
2: that bred professional liars for decades (laughs) (laughs) I'm so impressed yeah to who I didn't want to just say to whom I may concern I would have I said all of those things I am a recent graduate of the Berklee College of Music I have a lot of experience I know how to use Logic Pro and Pro Tools I can use all the software please hire me yeah. I, I, sincerely love Ami yeah. I will follow up right. I didn't even say I'll follow up please get back uh, to me she poetry. gave me
0: great tips she said they want they want to hear among other things that you'll be willing to do the small things mm-hmm. and because everybody's you know I write good questions if Charlie needs my questions yeah, 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 yeah. and so called me in and at the end of it I remember this guy Adam Waller who's a friend to this day said yeah so I think this is going to be a good fit and I in my naivete and lack of polish said so, did I get it? <laughs> so and he well, goes, you, 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 revealed I, I your, you revealed your greediness in that so, moment. So did, did I get it? And he goes, Yeah, we're going to, we'll, we'll talk about start dates. And I remember I started August 18th, were you 2008. Like- <laughs> it's a- oh my God. It was so incredibly exciting. And yeah. that whole experience, I would tell my parents that I didn't like Sundays because Saturday was Shabbos, a day off, and mm. Sunday just kept me from Monday. Truly totally unironically yeah. blessed it's a blessing i remember that feeling <laughs> i remember I, w- I was on the balcony
1: smoking a joint with two guys one guy was like doing his own thing raising money building a company the other guy was working like very corporate job mm-hmm. and, and and the guy went well, the guy with the corporate job went oh good thank god it's already thursday and the other guy building this company went oh shit it's thursday already yeah oh. and i was like this is it this is the whole thing and where were you
2: <laughs> um, what the <laughs> is it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, no, that is that's
2: a ama- that's a great that's a great scene. Yeah. I can see that scene. You should make that scene. Yeah. yeah. Did that
0: make it into the buckle up screenplay or no? Because <laughs> uh, it's good, right? That is um, good. That's It good was scene. also very exciting yeah. when you graduate, especially with an English major. Mm-hmm. It's exciting to just be employed. Period. Yes. I was uh, like, I time, have a place to go every day.
2: Yeah. Having a place to go, I went to. Dunkin- and
0: mind you, this was an unpaid internship. Right. So, so for six go- months, I, I went would- to a
2: Dunkin' Donuts in Riverdale. <laughs> that's where I went to go. <laughs> You know, and And today, and now we're sponsored. The following
0: is brought to you by Duncan.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Riverdale, for my first non-employment, unemployment breakfast. It was great. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's that is the best feeling when someone says when someone green lights you. Even just, I love the how like you had such humility and maturity at that age going in. To to know, I just want to be a sponge. And also, I think that's like the Gen X early, like the older millennials. I guess we consider we're kind of considered millennials, but we're like we are, we, we are. We are technically, but there's two millennials. You know what I'm saying? The five-year difference of millennials. There's like the millennials who are more like Gen Z. And then we, I like to say, we're like the millennials that are more like Gen X. Where we didn't have any expectations or sense of entitlement going in. We knew how green we were, like, going into these scenarios. And we weren't like, I got ideas. We were shut down pretty quick and just were made to listen. We were freshmen going into the workspace. And my attitude was similar. I remember it was just like, I just, I know nothing about this. I want to take the lid off and look at what's going on and just be around real thing, real, the real business of of what this is, real music, real whatever it is happening. I just want to be around it, you know?
1: And this was also, was this 2009? You said August 18th? 2008. 2008, which was right before the world collapsed exactly. right so like so that, when, that next year like you were like you were like golden like no one had anything to do that next year no one was getting jobs people were getting fired like the right finance, well it was an unpaid
0: internship so it no, wasn't no, but it was,
1: still but you had something going on for so sure I had some place was, to go. so i started yeah. august 18th the standard oh, wait, was low i love <laughs> i
0: loved the interviews that charlie rose did with artists you know interviewed a ton of actors writers mm-hmm. all the arts and culture stuff i enjoyed some of the other stuff too but that those were my tier one interests mm-hmm. And and uh, I idolized him. Mm-hmm. And so I started in August of 08, when it, it's an election year and there's the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention. And he is at these, they're in Minnesota, I believe. Here we go.
1: And so <laughs> we,
0: and all the friends who went into investment banking, they were working these jobs where they're at the office till midnight, one o'clock or whatever. Yeah. We start I started this experience and we were doing live shows because if a convention happened at eight o'clock or nine o'clock, you can't tape earlier in the day and air it at night because the show won't be as fresh as it could be. So we would tape live at eleven and I would walk and Charlie Rose was not there. So I would be walking guests at eleven o'clock or eleven thirty into an empty studio and it was all politics. I was like this is not what I signed up for at all. Cool, but what a strange experience. Finally, he gets back. And in September, I think that's when all like everything crashed. And every day it's always like CEO of AIG or, you know, from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And I was like, when are we doing the movies? When are we having the athletes on? So it was a very strange start. And I only wanted to get in with the entertainment producer. And I could never kind of, I could never like... Connect with him, I don't know, it was tough. And finally in December, he goes, Neil, can you help me with something? And I was so excited. I was like, finally, we're making some progress here. And he goes, can you help me pack these uh, crates? <laughs> Six out of 18 people were laid off. So it was quite a somber mm-hmm. atmosphere for a while, but then flash forward to September, 2009, Charlie Rose wanted to rebuild his staff. I had been there, I knew the way that things worked people said nice things about me and that's when i was hired so i interned for 13 months unpaid oh. which is crazy and perhaps yeah. a little foolish well, but by the now, end of it I don't think by the, the end,
2: standard is i feel like now, by the end of it i
0: was just at, i was just going to get hired out of spite mm-hmm. i was really just at like month 9 i was just like i'll, I'll stay here for <laughs> well you had a
2: tolerance for pain in that way and you had built up the resilience to like you were playing a
0: long yeah. game, which yeah. And was, you want that. It's yeah. almost like crossing a finish line, where you're like, right. once I get hired, even if I leave the next day, I could say I got hired. And
1: right. it was cool. Nobody else was that I knew was doing anything like that. So like, there was. I, th- I think people were, were rooting for you that whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I like your so.
1: friends and like people around. I, I was I was rooting for you. I remember like checking in. I don't know if we ever like spoke too much one on one. Weber's but, like, always
0: been pro Neil. We pay good money for it, but it's always been a solid <laughs> investment. <laughs> <laughs> a Weber's <laughs> always been pro Neil. It's, it's a Solid, solid I a bunch investment.
2: Of Hope for your demise. I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Every weekend at the Senate, people were like oh, in I the, <laughs> no, the, the string Everywhere. Months it has Legions, e- yeah. huge armies.
0: <laughs> it was fun. People yeah. were really excited about it because yeah. it's different and everybody wants to know. What it's like working in this industry that a lot of people weren't in, and while I you're talking about the humility of work, mm. going to these places you know nothing about. I could have walked into a law office or a medical office. I don't know the first thing about those places, mm. but to me, there was something incredibly exciting walking into a studio where there's cameras mm. and you've seen it on TV and you feel it. <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah. you feel He's, it. Uh,
1: he calls himself a young Charlie Rose all the time. You
0: feel it in your blood, <laughs> like you feel the energy and the yeah. excitement coursing through your blood. Did yeah, you through your veins.
2: Did you carry? Was there a, a shift in the external perception of what you were doing? As oh, he's trying something. I don't know how it's going to work. Versus you get hired and it's like oh, he's he's doing something. Like I always find it's interesting when you get your first sort of when you cross your first finish line, you get you get this like uh, shift from concern and potential discouragement to okay, it's a, it's it's working. You know, Be- maybe it's different in 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 the world you were in because it's. It's not the way like – I feel like with entertainment and the arts, it gets that rap of like, I don't know, it's supposed to be very hard to, to make it. Right. And I wonder if if what you were doing had carried that same sort of perception.
0: I think in media you could not hide behind, but you are shielded by the – the prestige. prestige of big organizations yeah. or in my case small boutique but highly prestigious organizations you could be doing nothing which is going to lead to nowhere but you could say i work for abc and people are like oh i want shark tank that's great you know or whatever and with me which, which shark are you with charlie rose it's not many people know it not many people watch it many people have said that's pr right but people who do know it and people who do watch it are a lot of the people who changed the world yeah. and it was a boutique luxury good if you want and so right. a lot of times when people say who are you working for charlie rose if they didn't know it and had to be told what it is they'd be like oh and if they did know it they'd be like oh wow cool mm-hmm, right. and the fact is it's on tv so it's mm-hmm. not like it's out there in the world they're like that's pretty cool and you're young i think it would be different now if you i don't know i didn't feel uh i felt Mostly, like, I had the support of people, and like you were saying, people were rooting for me and thought it was right. cool. Yeah.
2: I like that, Do the prestige sort yeah. of apparatus to protect
1: I, you. I wish, <laughs> at, I wish at like 22, I felt as young as I was. I think I felt like a lot of pressure to and felt it o- older than I was at 22. Yeah, I, I wish I knew I had like you know five to ten years to really. I wish I it felt out.
0: older at 22. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because then you. Approach everything you do with so much more intention, and you Mm -hmm. think, What are you? I think you're much more goal oriented. I don't know, maybe there's more room for exploration if you have a younger mindset, but I think there would be an urgency and a almost relentlessness. (laughs) that I would have had, but, but it I don't like, know, Maybe I, but then maybe I would have bounced from Charlie yeah, Rose it's, after it's, five months and never patient. had those experiences. Yeah, it sounds like the exact thing you had to do
1: was bide your time, be patient, and enjoy it for what it was. Yeah. It's, gonna, it's gonna lead somewhere.
2: It's always hard to project where you are now onto your earlier self. You were in a t- different position with different leverage and different experience and different rapport.
0: So totally. you and felt that,
2: different then that, and you couldn't do it again.
0: And that sliding <laughs> doors game is yeah, like that. very, you know, we all indulge in it from time to time, but There are so many experiences you have, you had, and relationships you have that, if not for that thing that you sometimes think you regret, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have had. So, great. You wish it would have been different. Well, then, how would you feel if your life didn't have A, B, and C amazing relationships and experiences? The level head in this,
2: Neil, is just so off the charts. I, I can't. Well, I watched it. <laughs> this podcast. I feel like I needed to bring some oh level. Oh my headiness. god! I mean, Every, it's just <laughs> nice. It's nice. Uh, yeah. It's comforting. I and, and it's very healthy mindset. And it's I couldn't agree more with all of that. It's like, well, I shouldn't have done that, but that taught you how to be tolerant of something yeah. you don't like, and that is a good skill to have. That you could play a long game of thirteen months unpaid to get to. Uh, well, that
0: I I go back and forth on. You know, some people are like it it displays grit and perseverance. Mm-hmm. And patience, patience is a virtue. But then on the other side, there are equally true bits of wisdom. He who hesitates is lost, or <laughs> you fail fast. Mm. Maybe somebody else after four months would have been like, "Yeah, this isn't in the cards. I'm out of here," and kind of ascended somewhere else. Right. I wonder sometimes: is it just is it uh, complacency and lack of drive being marketed as patience? Patience. i like yeah
1: well i think the the question the answer lies in the question do you like where you're at now are you are you happy with where you're at now or do you wish you were elsewhere like do you like where it's led you oh god that's a trick. that's a question and for Neil. <laughs> well or right now we'll, we'll also like are you where you're at now do you see a parallel to where you were at then and like sh- – do, do, do you want to be making trajectory? a strong move right now or are you feeling like I'm being too patient right now? I should go off and do my own thing or whatever it is like – is that, is uh, that, is I, that I, like before too, you? I, no, <laughs> I want to give I've, you a lot of avenues to I have uh, to known you it. a
2: long time, long enough to know that there's a part of you that's never fully complacent and it sort that's of keeps true. you right, on right, your right, toes. Right. You're yes. just
0: like mm. – Mm,
2: Yeah, mm, yeah, I shouldn't, well, mm, and it never fully hits, but maybe that's what keeps you so much in the process.
0: That is true. Uh I would say if I should be making more work with my name on it, Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, but the work that I'm doing every day and the people I work with truly, not to get too cheesy, but blessed. I mean, the stuff Uh that I get to do on a regular basis it's incredible and you have to remind yourself because it's very easy to get lost in the day to day that you are working for a guy who you used to watch on tv at the end of a day who would make you laugh out loud those laughs that are like you've just done a week-long cleanse like Mm -hmm. just the best medicine you're not just working at this person's show you're collaborating with this person and the people that i work with day to day to Uh brainstorm on guests and curate what you see and then the guests who i get to work with it's surreal so what are so what are what exactly do you do for colbert
2: yeah the technical geeky stuff because we're creatives we like to hear the behind the scenes what really goes into it
0: my job is mostly editorial curatorial it is finding the connective tissue between the host and the guest so Mm -hmm. if michael weber and ami kozak have this wildly successful podcast called buckle up
2: manifest and they're coming up (laughs) and
0: they're coming on the show and colbert hasn't isn't familiar with them because, well, why Stephen why aren't you? <laughs> but let's say I have to think what would be interesting for you guys to talk about with Colbert. What might I want to show him from your work that I think is representative or important for him to see so that even if I've just sat with him for 15 or 20 minutes, he has a thorough understanding of who you are, why the work you do is important and interesting and how he's going to spend his 10, 15, 20 minutes with you on national television. And I, so then I, do my own research, I tap into my institutional knowledge of him and the show, I read the research that's given to me, and I start to think, what would be interesting and fun? What would I, What do I think would be interesting? What are Steven's interests? What do I think the audience would be? Well, I'll
2: save you the trouble, seven minutes of stand-up. Right.
0: <laughs> Michael will read a blurb,
2: and then I will talk to Steven. Exactly what would you think would i mean you don't know by the that. way we're the too big, new we're too, fr- we're a too big, new, but a that big was, a
0: big conversation would be because you're there. Are two of you who sits next to Stephen, <laughs> and who gets
2: i think we know so we might
0: so that might be Come a bit on! that might be a bit where you guys i might say what if you both try sitting in the seat next to Stephen, and then steven says this is awkward and do you design the bits for the show like in that way sometimes would, sure um, of like, how like i'll this- give you an example one first mm-hmm. let me so then yeah So then I will do what's called the pre-interview with you guys, Mm -hmm. either together or separately. I prefer to do them separately where I'll ask you a bunch of questions. And that I think of as me going down into the coal mines Mm -hmm. because it's that dangerous and that (laughs) rugged. And that's me like gathering my clay. And then I see of the questions and ideas that I had, which did you respond to, which were really funny and interesting. And then I sculpt it into an outline, which I present to Colbert day of the interview, where I go into his office and I'll say, this is, uh, you know, Ami and Michael. This is what they're here for. This, I think, you should start with blah blah. Or I'll tell him you met them two years ago at a UJA event. Uh-huh. Don't say nice to meet you. You actually met them. Whatever it is, Ooh. I will present it to him. He will tweak it. He will. I'll say I think you should use this clip. I think you should play this game. Whatever it is, so hot right now, Neil. So and hot. then, <laughs> and then you guys would come to the. And sometimes he will. Just say that's great he always makes it funnier and smarter mm-hmm. but other times he'll say did you ask about this or i really want to talk to them about that or whatever it is i mean he's from he's more familiar or less familiar depending on the guest and
2: so he'll have his own curiosities too totally mm-hmm. and sometimes
0: he'll be familiar with stuff I mean, oftentimes that you have no idea. Like mm-hmm. Tom Hanks will be on and will be like, oh, you know, it's funny. We got dinner a week ago and mm-hmm. we talked about this. I want to get into it. It's a collaboration for sure. And are you uh, – if, if Tom Hanks is coming on, are you
1: doing a pre-interview with Tom Hanks or with his publicist or with, something?
0: Usually with Tom Hanks. So mm-hmm. so you've spoken
1: to like – Big people,
0: yeah. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That's pretty The cool. ones
0: who don't want to do pre-interviews oftentimes – You'll speak to the publicist, and they'll want to run through it in the green room. Some people like to go out totally fresh, like Jamie Fox. Oh, mm-hmm. He'll say, "What are the areas?" Yeah, and you'll tell him. But that only works when you have somebody who is like Jamie Fox mm-hmm. or Tom Hanks,
2: comics who can riff too. Yeah. I imagine is, it's a
0: little yes. Although the one of the scarier things you could hear is his second producer is. Let's just riff. And I'm just like... I'm going to ask this. A a, a, a more deep question, and you you may have the same question. Uh, My job, sorry, just one last thing. It's almost like Terry Gross asked Conan O'Brien, how how do you screen guests? Mm -hmm. And he said, we have segment producers. And this was a long time ago before The Late Show with Stephen Colbert even started. And he said, you don't want to see, and I said this earlier, you don't want to see the conversation that a host would have with the guest. If you ran into each other on the street, it should be better than that. It should be a heightened version of the conversation. My job as a segment producer is to heighten the conversation. Mm -hmm. So I can ask 20 things in an hour and a half long conversation on the phone and I'll pick the six best things. And hopefully the conversation will pop Mm -hmm. because I've separated the wheat from the chaff and curated what audiences are gonna see on TV. We have the same question, it's it's burning. No, I I don't have any, go ahead. But it's difficult (laughs) because you don't want to lose the magic and feel like it, people right. are serving, you're serving I mean, pre baked goods. When, and and do you, do you
1: advise Kobe on when to interrupt and when not to, well, when not to interrupt? That's, That's not it. Go <laughs> no, just, no, I just wanted to delay a little bit. Go ahead. Oh, what's your well. question? <laughs> in the age that
2: we're in now, okay, so like a fundamental question It speaks to your job and its role and in the current state of media and how people consume it now. You said the worst thing you can hear as a segment producer is let's just riff. But in the age that we're in now, where The Joe Rogan experience, for example, is the number one probably piece of consumed entertainment of all time and currently it seems that way. And that there's this conversation going on now uh, between, you know, legacy media versus new media, Uh, traditional types types of entertainment, the late night and sitcom versus the raw sort of what people deem as more sort of authentic, unscripted riffing style. And it seems like that is really on the ascent in terms of what people are responding to, is Joe Rogan sitting down for three hours and just riffing. So I'm just curious if, if could Stephen Colbert technically sit there and just riff, and would people really
1: not respond to it? You know, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, can, can I ask a follow-up yeah. question? Well, well, answer first, and then I have, an, <laughs> I have another question. Because I think I know what
0: you're going to say. I'm curious about Go your ahead. take on legacy media, yeah.
2: new media, the podcast world that's everywhere, and and, and doing. And seems I to be. Work on the for, I work
0: for a late night show, yeah. and a late night interview is a polished. It, and you only have like polished six minutes. Piece of art, exactly. Oh, it's yeah. with yeah. intention. Yeah, ten. It's such a compressed economic form. So Joe Rogan can tape for three hours, but right. we don't have the time or space to right. do that. And so. And
1: by the way, when Joe Rogan talks to like Bernie Sanders he, when he only has half an hour, it, they're not riffing. It's a little more focused, but the format is, you know, when you watch late night,
2: it does feel polished and heightened. And it's presented as so that like it's conversational, but there's been a lot of prep and a lot For of sure. work put into it. And I'm wondering if there's a conversation going on now to compete with this new space of how to reflect that more. I
0: right. think it's just a different offering mm-hmm. but i also think joe rogan's show would be better if it were half the time <laughs> it would cut out all the stuff tape for three hours why do i need to listen to three hours can't you you think there's more do you i don't listen to enough joe rogan right. so i can't wait is there more than a good hour and a half in each episode i don't think so. i
2: don't watch the full episodes that's but that's not how it's consumed either it's often consumed in clips but out of the three hour well, segment what you get is sometimes people who are really stripped down and really really not not necessarily delivering an agenda, or they're trying to sell a movie, or they're trying to do this. You're getting them. You feel so like do. you're getting. You know them. who
0: tapes for hours. First of all, um, I used to love inside the actor studio. They yes. would tape for hours, and right. the show was an hour, yeah. and it was fantastic, and it was tight, and it was. So well, that's and here, same thing it's with a different a, critique. A British... You're talking
1: about it's fi- how it's delivered in its final format, is, but the process of how they get it. Is yeah. it, is this what you're asking? Um, in 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 the current media landscape, why should people be interested in a six minute manicured conversation? Between a television host and a celebrity coming on to promote something? Like where, like and when you go into work and, and you see and you hear in the ether, like what people are talking about is the Joe Rogan, all the podcasts, et cetera. When you're approaching one of these interviews, what do you think to yourself, like, how do I make this thing relevant in a way that's gonna like hit a nerve? Or like or, or or is that or is that not a consideration, or
0: is when it oranges. Oranges. yeah, when yeah. I'm doing my job, I never think about those podcasts mm-hmm. except in the sense of, is this great story that I arrived at in the call with whoever the guest is? Was that already told on a podcast, oh, and yeah. I'm rehashing old stuff mm-hmm. i'm never thinking, how can I make this better than what was just on Rogan or whatever it is? i'm thinking, how can I make this the most, well, what's the tone of it gonna be? Mm -hmm. Is this gonna be a really silly, funny interview where they just mess around the whole time? Or is this gonna be, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or that sort of thing. Is it gonna be a mix of both? What's the tone? What's the approach? What's the angle? And how do I make it as rich and as bespoke to Stephen Colbert Mm -hmm. as possible? Because a great interview that Rogan does Is going to be very different than a great interview that Colbert does because they're different hosts. So, what's one of the proudest interviews? What 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 interview are you you know most proud of that you feel like you
1: you nailed it on every on every level?
0: I, Tom Brady has in the past two years become this outgoing. It's almost like his public persona has flowered, and now it's just like, like
2: my dad. My my, yeah. my hero's my dad. He's just like this
0: – he's funny. He's my like dad. poignant. He lips, yes. right.
2: My hero's my dad.
0: No, yeah, he's it's my dad. The guy's the man. But before, I love like, my dad. Years ago, <laughs> he was much more like Derek Jeter where you mm-hmm. wouldn't get a glimpse into his fun side. And so he came on the he's show. He's just
1: guy married to a supermodel. One.
0: Yeah, very very relatable. relatable. That's it. Yeah. So he came on the show before this sort of media flowering, let's just say, of him – You know, throwing the Super Bowl trophy from boat to boat at the party and Mm. being super fun—I'm sure he was privately, but publicly, he was very much buttoned up and all that. And Colbert has many interests; not he will be the first to admit, not the biggest sports guy. So I thought you have one of the biggest sports icons alive, and Mm. Stephen Colbert—what's going to be the connective tissue? And so we leaned into the diet and nutrition angle and Mm -hmm. on the phone i said you're obviously an amazing football player and this is surreal you're on the phone with tom brady and you're working with him it's not like you're there just being oh my god you're amazing Mm -hmm. you're you're digging for stuff
1: i'm i'm surprised that like um sorry cable with the cable yeah Yeah, sorry
0: um i'm surprised someone who's 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 made so many
1: appearances would would spend that much time talking to you on the phone and 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 like this is one of how many appearances he's making that week like
0: not a lot Oh okay. No, someone like that doesn't make as many as you'd think. It's okay, a big okay, get. Okay. Sorry, that was just a quiz. Yeah, no, no, no. Out, yeah. No, and the the flip side though is even if they make a lot of appearances, there are three million people watching on TV and people on YouTube. Wouldn't you rather hop on the phone for half an hour an hour to make sure it goes well, or would you rather just wing it? See,
1: this is the type of thing I, I, I would assume, yeah, they wing it. I would assume they wing it. Someone someone whos who's—who's who's been doing it that long that well, I would think so. Mike right? is he's the here, king of
2: wrong you assumptions.
0: Yeah, I'll give you an example <laughs> yeah. just to put it in a less... It's crazy to how, make it how See, hard I went to a works. Johnny
2: Mac when Johnny McEnroe had a late night show for like a week.
0: Yeah, he's Johnny great. McEnroe. Yeah, so fun. Great
2: guy, but he had a show and we went to a taping. It was like a fun activity. <laughs> we went to... Really a, fun. hes He's a... But as a late night show, it didn't work. Right. He had... Al Sharpton on I'm just giving an example of what happens when you don't segment yeah, produce we'll, we'll get back and Tom prep Brady, yeah. I want to get back to Tom Brady but just yeah. just just what happens when you don't get on the phone and prep or the guy's not equipped to host and everything wasn't right it was like a they were testing him for a late night host right. so they had it we went to this thing and you know applied uh, you know, clap applause when you're supposed to yeah. applause and all that it begins it sits down we're all hyped up everyone's like woo give it up for Reverend Al Sharpton so what's going on What's going on? And he says a uh, thanks for have would be John D. Mack. And then he goes. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes. And then he goes, all right, so 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 so, so like what's going on? Pause. And when he's like, well, uh, how you how you doing? <laughs> it was just oh I, well, I don't, there was nothing. That's what we don't there want. There was nothing. I, and I, we I, all sat there like
0: it yeah, sounds it like Al Al very, think Al it can sounds do that. very yeah. fake and it uh. almost sounds very corporate. Like let's write a press release, which we can enact on a stage, but mm-hmm. let's put it in more artistic terms. Uh-huh. Are you gonna do a play and perform it without rehearsing if it's not improv? Yeah. Absolutely not. We got to iron out what's the blocking? Where's the, let's yeah. figure out the cadence of how I'm gonna say this to you. And-
2: the guest has ah. something to talk about too. They want to push something that usually they're on for PR reasons.
0: Right. For sure. They're, they're they have pushing something. Or- but the other thing is it's not – a lot of times you're coming up with areas, almost sandboxes for two people to play in where I might – a guest might know we're going to talk about the funny rituals that happen within sports so then an athlete, a football player might know, oh, maybe we're going to talk about butt slaps or like whatever. So, you know, a host could talk about, did we... S- no, 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 okay. I was testing my mic, keep going, no. butt slaps. Riveting guest over here. I'm <laughs> just like, no, I'm just playing with my deck. I, not- I thought everything just... <laughs> gonna, you, co- you come up with areas of conversation within which they can speak freely. And the other thing is sometimes these plans, you, you set them up and you discuss... Twenty percent of mm-hmm. what you prepared because it does go off the rails, and then it's a version of organic, we have this have structure exactly. You have it, but it's not just hey, how you doing? It's yeah. someone be like, hey, so I hear you just went to Italy. Do you like Italians? Yeah. And then you know, <laughs> no, you know, a context, a, a context so no. that there's some structure to work in. Otherwise, you're just swimming in the ocean, and it's do you, you, do you know lost. Andrew
1: Santino. Mm-hmm. So someone asked him, they're like, they're like, you know, when uh, Michael Orchard's Kramer, you know, he, that N-word set that he did at the con- at the store, and he. Goes he goes, Yeah, I, I watch it once a year. And he goes, he goes, that's what happens when you go on stage and try to wing a stand up set. Ten times out of ten, you're gonna say the N-word. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Which I just thought was funny. Well um, yeah, you can okay. end up in spiral. He's, like, he's like, if you're not an, a world class performer, you can't just riff. You have to like you yeah. have to you have to Riffing prepare.
0: is uh, Yeah. It's dangerous most of the time. <laughs> well it's dangerous. Yeah. It's a tightrope.
2: Yeah. You can get across it and it's very satisfying when you do. And I always like seeing those Norm Macdonald clips of him showing up on Conan and destroying everything.
0: But you can allow space to riff. Yeah. Like for example, what's a, what's a good example? So the Norm bits are um, best on
2: Conan. He would come up and destroy everything. trying to think of an yeah. example.
0: We, oh, here's an example. Um, there's a guy, hilarious, really smart, incredibly articulate guy, great writer Roger Bennett, Men in Blazers. He's a British guy who married Nick Kroll's sister mm-hmm and lives in the the city in West Virginia. And he and this guy, Michael Davies have a podcast, British guys talking about European soccer from New York city called Mm -hmm. Men in Blazers. Mm -hmm. And they do interviews they've had on huge people. And it's a great show. He's a great writer. He's a great guest. He wrote a book called Born in the USA about becoming an American citizen. He grew up in Liverpool. It was so run down back when he was growing up, he was obsessed with American culture and he finally became a US citizen. And so a lot of the conversation was like what it means to be American. And before we got into the serious stuff, there was room to riff within what do you do once you get your US citizenship? It was like, well, of course I went to the gun shop, like gotta mm-hmm. get my guns and like obviously butt, butt heavy and I needed my apron for my barbecue. And because Colbert is an improviser, he knows that within that, there's gonna be a lot of room to play. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're gonna come up with, but they at least have the that fenced in area, as opposed to just, oh, like you guys will just go out there and riff. It's like, well, riff about what? No, you
2: have your boundaries here, you're gonna play in this And then you're gonna
0: go from there to the actual really serious stuff about what it means to be an American. Mm -hmm. So then however long the host chooses to expand or contract that funny riffing section, he knows he's driving from one to the other and I've provided him with the exit so he could say, that's all fun, but like, seriously, what does it mean to be an American? Or you came from England, you know there's all sorts of problems this country's having now but you seem really proud what makes you proud anyway despite America's the fact perfect. that the country's on fire <laughs> so then and then how what do we when we get to that area where do we go next mm-hmm. and all so, sorts of things so tom brady <laughs> i wanted to button that up because we we we.
1: so tom yeah, brady we, this was this was before he was kind of out as yeah a so person. he so so
0: i say you're obviously a great football player you seem like a really good dad mm-hmm. what's something you're great at that I might not know. And he says, I can chug a beer really quickly. So Mm -hmm. I say, would you chug a beer really quickly on national television against our host? And he says, yes, I would. And I said, I can already see the news articles coming out about this. Are you serious? Because it would be a shame if you're telling me this now. And then- He was like, not through the mouth, Neil. (laughs) And then you, you bail on it. So he said, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. Boofing. So he We're going to boof with Stephen Colbert. So he, he ended up doing this on air and they chugged beers and it became this viral moment on Twitter. And it was such a fun moment between these two people who had never, they had met maybe once before. But that's something that you come up with. That was you your assist. It that was and your- it became this moment that people were sending around and somebody from... CBS said, said to me like you know that was really cool I got to see a side of Tom Brady I'd never seen before and like that's great
1: yeah
0: um, so are you and that's you, really and, fun internally it's fun and, it, and that's just an idea that I but came up with out of and you get the credit for that internally people you know in the in the office are like nice job Neil yeah less on a bit and more just like that was a great interview or uh-huh. people are very complimentary and. Love to prop up other people cool. in my experience. I, I mean, what's fascinating is- Oh, you know what else? Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but just this, just to give you a sense of the collaborative nature. So he gets these deep tissue massages every day, every other day. Tom, Tom Brady. So Tom we thought, Brady. what if we have him give Colbert a deep tissue massage, like a sexy <laughs> massage? And one of the my friends from the office who was working with me on the segment said, what if we- dim the lights. And somebody else said, what if we put play like, maybe maybe like, what if we play like Marvin Gaye? And like, you see, everybody's throwing in their ingredients and we did that. And I pitched it to Brady and Brady goes, would it be funny if I had some lube out there? And I said, that's amazing. So we had lube. My friend from the office, I think- He's a idea. whole football idea to, to dim the lights and play this sexy Marvin uh, Gaye type music. I can feel it. And there. so we dim the lights and he got this massage, he rolled up his sleeve and, ta- and Brady, I remember I said to him before he went out there, uh, the more you mess with Colbert, the funnier this is gonna be. So just like be loose, so he goes to, he's out there and he goes, would it make you feel more comfortable if I whispered it, if I blew in your ear? And I'm standing <laughs> on the side of the stage thinking, what in the world? This is the guy who's so buttoned up and yeah. barely says a thing. Like you could never- he's like, Giselle, yeah. do his lower back. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so that was something yeah. that's really fun. And after an experience like that, draining it is, is you just think, how's this my job? And like, and cool as it is to work with brady truly i'm not just saying this getting to work with colbert and the people in my office who are smart creative nice interesting great people who are good friends of mine you'll you'll be like this is insane So as you're
1: you're saying this and this this might be an area you're completely uncomfortable with if so we don't have to like include in the episode whatever Um, but as you're saying this i'm hearing one of my favorite comedians voices in my head um, Tim Woody Dillon. Allen, who's no, not <laughs> Tim Dillon saying, saying again, t- stop me if I'm being like completely inappropriate, saying, like, um, you know, talking about the state of the world and then using an example, and then Stephen Colbert is on CBS getting a back rub from Tom Brady. Like, like this, this like Stephen Colbert, who used to make these, like, he's like the greatest satirist of the last, you know, several decades, like this brilliant comedic guy, like... You know, doing a segment like that with Tom Brady, which is obviously a success and, like, great for CBS and, like, great for you and great for, great for the thing. Like, how does – like, do you have any insight into, like, how you think about it or or Stephen Colbert thinks about, like, the, the show itself, like, compared to what he used to do or, like – like you, the area I'm like getting into. Do you like? um like, In other what, words, your proudest the,
2: creative achievement. We want to take a steamy dump on it. No,
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Cause, well, cause, like, no, things, no. Because I'm saying yeah. within the yes. boundaries you're working on, you, yeah. you, 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 you had incredible achievement. You did yeah. an incredible job. I just mean like more broadly, um, just the whole enterprise. And to piggyback um, off of that, yeah. I'm
2: I'm curious about the same thing. There is a battle going on out there for like the center of the culture, the relevancy, and a lot of the right. newer comics and podcasters like to. Maybe it's a complex, but they. They shit on legacy media for seemingly being out of touch with what's resonating with people entertainment-wise. Right. So you would describe that scene, and, and that's appealing to a certain or a certain demographic, and then there's this new media that's forming, and they seem to be in competition with each other, where one is the legacy media sort of ignoring, all oh, that's like just... Or adapting to it, like Bill Maher starting a podcast, Conan starts a podcast, right. Hillary Clinton starts a podcast. I just mean like... All of a sudden, Bill Maher has a podcast, right? you yeah. have seen that. So it's yeah, just yeah. like, Bill Maher has a show on HBO that's gone on for 15 years, and right. he's starting a podcast, has a few thousand followers on TikTok, and they're just sitting in it. Like, what's he trying to compete with? I'm just curious your thoughts on that general yeah. macro landscape. Yeah, that- like,
1: yeah, or like someone, right, who might dismiss that. Mm-hmm. What don't they understand about it that that we, that we don't hear that voice in the conversation? Like, what don't we get about that? Mm-hmm.
2: There's a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> I think hosts, like anyone,
0: people have interests that exceed the boundaries of their daily profession. And Mm -hmm. so someone like Bill Maher can be really interested in what he's doing on his show, but still have tons of interests that he wants to pursue, which don't fit into the structure of that show. And I guess he could give up the show and start something full-time to pursue those other interests, but why not do the two simultaneously, especially when the barrier to entry for a podcast is so low? He doesn't have to ask a network for millions of tens of millions of dollars. He could just do the show and supplement it with things on the side. And it's not to compete with anyone. It's just to indulge, to follow his curiosity. When Bill Maher went on Rogan, right? He was, there was a first line. He's like, full disclosure,
2: I asked to come on here to promote my season of HBO. And the comment section was just like, wow. An HBO host just went on a podcast to promote his show to the podcast. And it just showed this power shift. And I guess part of Michael's question also is is that... Is the shade that's being thrown from, like, new comics and podcasters to this stuff, is it legit? Are they missing something? Are they just being petty? I'm curious because you're in that world. What kind of
0: shade? I'm just curious.
1: Like, um, I mean, like, th- this guy, Tim Dillon, a lot likes to talk about how, like, you know, basically being on SNL used to used to catapult you, used to elevate yeah. you to a certain platform and, like, you're b- you could become a star. Like, he's like, you could be at a party now and tell someone you're on SNL and they'd be like, cool. Like, I, I can't – I can name – Maybe one cast member of SNL right now, like sort of the, this whole world that ten, fifteen years ago was this ma you know, the the massive platform is, is is now not as massive it used to be. Where I could go, I could either go on to a late night show to promote my movie or go on to a podcast, and it's possible the podcast is going to be more effective than going on to the late night, mm-hmm. um, uh, onto the late night shows. So like the 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 shade that a lot of these comics who were rejected. By the industry are throwing on it is that it's no longer relevant or it's no longer effective, and and they so the industry has to adjust to what we're doing if they want to now be relevant again. Um Whereas like, but you're you're working there, everyone's getting paid. You said there's three million viewers. Like like you know what what doesn't this guy who has this big podcast understand about? about or
2: what's about, your take on it?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. But My that's the shade. That's the that's shade. the shade. Yeah. My take is that this stuff seems to tap into the fact that in 2022, there is so much stuff out there Mm -hmm. that anything is diluted compared to what it used to be. We Mm -hmm. can have a massively successful show and 3 million, 4 million people watch. Johnny Carson used to get 20 million viewers a night. It was more concentrated. Saturday Night Live didn't have to compete with Mm -hmm. all these other shows or comedians popping up on all these other outlets. And so it's just difficult to make a mark. Mm -hmm. But the other thing which came to mind as you were talking is how do you define a successful show? I mean, I don't know. It certainly is in a certain sense, a mark of the tables turned that Bill Maher is going on Joe Rogan, but Joe Rogan is such an outlier. And there the goal isn't always just the bigger the audience, the better the show? Mm-hmm. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I came from working at Charlie Rose, mm-hmm. which I thought was an excellent show, mm-hmm. where I think the audience was like 200,000 people a night, mm-hmm. which this is going to get more hits than that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no, so I don't know. It depends how you that's really.: that's really, really How you define it. It's, yeah. But I will say it is really difficult to make a mark in the culture, and if you're working on anything in any medium that people are talking about or that's putting out good work and it's making a mark all the power to you because there is so much to wade through and sift through Mm -hmm. and it's tough to make a mark. Mm -hmm. And Judd Apatow has talked about this, how you make a movie and it's just, it used to have traction and now it's just, there's, so much other stuff. It's a double-edged sword because it used to be, you had to get, there were so many gatekeepers,
2: but once the gate was open to you,
0: now there was
2: a path to a right. massive audience. Now the gatekeepers have lost their power, but now it's saturated and you have to do all the work. Totally, and even if that's if you're why a it's important
0: to have quality hosts who mm-hmm. are arbiters of culture and give mm-hmm. their stamp of what's important, cultural curators, so mm-hmm. that even if you've never heard of someone on this show or that show, they're probably interesting or some in some way because mm-hmm. this host is vouching for them by having them on his right. or her show. I think some of the shade is
2: also wrapped in the idea that, especially for comedians, the edginess of a comedian matters a lot to other comedians, how yeah. much you're pushing something, or are you just kind of making everybody comfortable? And there's especially, and I've been doing more comedy now, so you get this kind of like sense of how it, you know, how comedians rank each other and what the culture of comedy is. And it's ironically, it was like you had once upon a time, it was network TV that was the legacy and cable TV was, was the edgy stuff, the Comedy Central stuff, the Daily Show, the Colbert Report. They were the counterculture. They were saying the edgier things that were stirring people up while, you know, Johnny Carson was just having a guest on and just talking nicely, you know, and he was the buttoned up guy. And it seems like it's like it's funny that Stephen Colbert is one of those people. But just in general, it's evolved now where it's it's television and Internet you know, yeah. as the two things. And some of that shit, I think, gets thrown to people who were like, are you falling in line with a bigger, uh, because you're part of a, a massive organization, like an ABC or a network, where you have to you have to for just sure. answer for something bigger. And, you, you know, there's different things at stake. There's different people at stake. There's a whole team of people. It's a different, like you said, it's kind of apples and oranges. It's not like... It is apples and
0: but oranges. But there's a yeah.
2: tension that's just being fought for everywhere, in every way. Yeah, for I sure. And there
0: are always people, I remember being so surprised when I always used to read the art section of the New York Times and A.O. Scott, the film critic, and wrote great stuff and like really smart, awesome movie reviews. And I remember him once saying that when he started at the New York Times, he was just embarrassed because he came out of this academic tradition and he thought this is so much like beneath me, almost like Mm -hmm. I've sold out, Mm -hmm. which reminds me of some of these in a different way, these comedians who are edgy and then go work in a more mainstream way. And Mm -hmm. there's always gonna be that chip on your shoulder of am I selling out on the more high-minded interesting stuff but the flip side is if you had never made it into the mainstream you'd be like I never really made it never turned that corner it seems like an endless Mm -hmm. push and pull
2: yeah. Ultimately, I always look at it as like everybody's judging each other too much. It's like everyone's just, tr- even to Tim Dillon, I would say everyone's trying to make somebody laugh for a minute. Yeah. Like well, that's all. Also, it's a bit. There
0: it's is a also, bit, if we're being a, honest, and I, I agree think him. there's a fair amount of resentment. Well, that's what I was going to say. It, it comes from a
1: place of anger where it's like, like you
0: didn't get that SNL cast member slot and decline it you didn't get it no no completely completely. anger but
2: also he's like i'm selling out more shows than the snl cast
1: member so i don't know how angry he really is it's more like you know what though those things can still eat at you because it almost like he's not getting his due because he he is more relevant than a lot of the snl sketches you know how many times
2: i've been just eating marinara sauce saying she got a fucking special uh, (laughs) yeah yeah but does it still eat at you i guess that rejection or it's sort of like it defines you still, like you sticking it to them a little bit, like the people. Yeah, it's like rejected.
0: that, you know, the uh, rosebud thing or the yeah, yeah, yeah you know, for sure, that little thing that's uh hook sticking you across. Yeah, because <laughs> I
1: because mean, he's also really interested in celebrity, and he it, that's a gate that's close to him. He and it's can't a, yeah. be a mainstream celebrity right now. But it's his angle too. We're speaking. We talk about Tim Dillon. Yeah, fans, and he also
2: like lives that lavish lifestyle, yeah. like, but resentfully. Do you know who Tim Dillon is? That's no, a
1: good I do Right. So Tim Dillon is the number one comedy podcaster on Patreon. He makes like almost two hundred thousand dollars a month through his podcast. Wow. Mm-hmm. He sells out um, like uh, theaters all over the country. He just did like a sixty-show tour or something. He, oh, wow. He's a huge. He's a huge deal, right? But Neil doesn't know who he is. Yeah. Right. Um, but and, I, I mean, I, I, th- I think that that's where it comes from. Of like. Like, why am I not on Stephen Colbert? I bet I most people, huge,
0: most people in my orbit, would probably know who he is. I'm he's, he's, um, he's unrepresentative. So. I think, yeah, oh. yeah, probably. they
2: probably do. But I also think, like, I, I would never, I can't even picture him on a late night show, like as the guest. Although, I, I, I can. don't, I don't, I I, 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 I haven't seen it though.
1: Yeah, which is weird. You need two chairs. <laughs>
2: but I do feel like I don't know. Once upon a time, it was like the comedian community and the late night community were were very much
0: symbatico, and now right.
2: it's it's like with the ability to build your own audience organically online there just is a a changing of the hierarchy or the the See,
0: process by I which people that, do that that you know? there was this sort of corner who's because i think
1: yeah that's a lot of anybody who about. loves
0: mm-hmm. comedy should have such a reverence for if not the hosts themselves then the art form because it birthed so many of these culture-changing comedians that sure. even if you don't like a specific host it was that structure out of which came eddie murphy ellen seinfeld, seinfeld. Yeah, right. seinfeld.
2: There's, so there's a generation of comics now the younger guys andrew schultz do no you andrew schultz no. uh, tim dylan the the guys who are dominating in the podcast space
0: who and, have and seemingly
2: see. circumvented the traditional way in which the comic would be a road comic then they try to get on a sitcom or comment on an MTV show and be right. funny or get on a late night spot. Yeah. And they're still doing spots, but a lot of them are now talking like, hey, I'm building up this audience on my podcast. I'm selling hard tickets. Do I really need that seven-minute tight right. seven on, right. on a late and, night? And they're asking themselves that. And there's, and, this, and there's a
1: little bit of resentment, but it's more about like, but, haha, I guess but, I don't. But, yeah. but for yeah. the first time it opens up, they can talk shit about SNL and, and Jimmy Fallon because they don't need Jimmy Fallon and SNL anymore to have a career. So, like, for the first time, they can t- publicly make fun of Jimmy Fallon <laughs> on stage because, like, whether or not he invites them on the show for a spot doesn't matter. They, like, right. figured it out without him. And so they're exploiting it's, it's that power shift a yeah. lot
2: for entertainment purposes. yeah, yeah. For yeah. us, it's, for our enjoyment, Tim Dillon shits on this stuff, and we all like to hear about it because he's, like, the yeah. anti-Hollywood Hollywood At, guy. Yeah. And you don't know how serious he is about any of it.
1: At the same time, he said many times, like, give me 20 mil a year, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. he's not a— <laughs> Like, it's, it, he's funny it's, about it, um, but he there have is integrity. He doesn't but have integrity. No integrity. Well, he's got a big audience. It's <laughs> and then, I think you'd enjoy. Yeah. I
2: mean, but it's just a, it's as the consumer and like we we're kind of in this space. It's just a funny landscape yeah. to observe.
1: You no, know, I mean it'd be fascinating to see someone like you hook up, <laughs> fool around with someone <laughs> who has a big YouTube show. Like for for like a real segment producer to go with someone with a really big YouTube show. They, I don't think it, they probably aren't doing it as well as as you could do it. And right. Although like, the counter argument you know, to and, that and might be. Butt.
0: Oh, we have uh, five million views. Be, no, perhaps, no. Sort of what exactly be, be, are because, we doing wrong here? Because you'll make it that much better. But but, get but, but success a for a lot of people is simply eyeballs mm-hmm. and it might be higher quality but not higher viewed, which mm-hmm. in their calculation is no better. Right. It's
2: like I put on my iPhone and that's my currency is the views. I and mean, Even if it was a selfie camera. Like, it's almost like are so the best really books always the best
0: yeah. sellers? <laughs> I don't think so. Right. What's funny is with flagrant. Oh, let's like, not to say they're not. Sometimes they are. You're but
2: starting to see that full circle. Joe Rogan was on freaking He's like, you ruined it, guys. You ruined podcasting. Yeah, right. This is not what it's... it's this. So flagrant too. Andrew Schultz, that comedian mentioned, has started a podcast. Mm-hmm. And it was conversational like this. And now it's just, it's leveled up in production quality where now they sit down with fancy mm-hmm. lights. It's turning into a talk show. Mm-hmm. And Joe Rogan goes on and goes, you fucking ruined it, guys. It's not <laughs> supposed to be <laughs> like funny. this. Right. Where they're all polished. Yeah. So... I, I don't know. I just it's a, it's an interesting space. So your
1: focus down. so so your only metric is quality, which is which is great. Like when you're when you're sitting down to do it, you're like what what how can I make the most quality interview?
2: Yeah, for that's sure. A, for great. me personally. Yeah. Yeah. What I yeah. love is the creativity you talk I like I picture headset, um clipboard kind of thing, but the way you spoke no, about it. No, it's none of that. Yeah, that's it's like my... it's really you're you're crafting an episode of a show. It's a sure. very creative But way. the other
0: thing is when I say quality, that has many variations. What is the mark of a successful late night segment? Different for each guest. It might be commenting on the slap and getting. It might be a visual image where you get to see a host sitting across from somebody in a certain way, like the image of the two of them chugging beer together, and you're like, "Wow!" It might be a really poignant story and getting this like beautiful moment. Uh, like I think one of the great one Keanu of the great Reeves. late night Keanu Reeves. You can't read, but you know it's like an amazing interview. the people interview.
2: who love us will miss us. <laughs> exactly. I watched that a few no, times, like once Letterman, a month. And Warren I Warren Zevon. <laughs> do
0: you know that Warren Zevon no. on Letterman when yeah. after it was revealed that he was sick and he talks to Letterman uh-huh. about like how many more like sandwiches do I have or something oh, and all oh, this God. stuff and it was this like gorgeous, really moving late uh-huh. night segment which is fantastic. And then other times, one of my favorites ever is. Adam Sandler on Conan trying, talking about trying to see Shaq's penis <laughs> right, when they were shooting a movie together. Shack's it's like, you gotta see it. And Conan's like, it's like the Grand Canyon. You gotta see it. <laughs> it's so polar opposite, yeah. both beautiful. And yeah, in that it, sense,
2: absolutely. those go YouTube viral too, because that's like, it, it like it jumps into the space of new yeah. media where people like the Keanu Reeves one. Have you seen that? No, no. It's if old, you think about it in like
0: it terms of just very old I'm world, saying. sort of like people <laughs> coming home from a tough day of work, yes. putting something on before they go to sleep, people don't watch it this way. But if you yeah. think about it like that, both the Adam Sandler, and the Warren Zevon, both would be like great ways to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. One's just like seize the day, treasure every moment. The other was just like oh, the other's the image of Shaq. Sick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly. oh. Couldn't <laughs> sleep that <laughs> night. Yeah. Slept oh. like a rock. <laughs> the there's a Countess
2: thing where yeah. I only come. It, it start It always clips right at the as like. People like for some reason, there was like a a what happens happens to people?
0: What do you think happens? No, like people were asking Keanu deep questions on Twitter.
2: He's like, People have been asking you all these questions, Keanu.
1: Who is this with, Stephen? He's like,
2: Keanu Reeves, what happens when we die? And he goes, I know that the ones who love us will miss us. And of course, the world
0: just like blew up. Everyone's like, Keanu Reeves. I'm like, I know that
2: what happens when we die he's like i know that the ones who love us will it was just one of these and he's like this like he can't not be a genuine there's something very endearing about for sure reeves. yeah i know that the ones who love us will miss us and keanu reeves has gone through a lot of personal pain he's lost a lot of family members and all this stuff that.
0: but he has a quality for reasons i don't understand that he could say something very slowly and it just feels so rich with wisdom even though you're like what yeah. I don't know. It's so something. Somebody's a star. So, I
2: think we should all get a sandwich right? Later. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, we wow, sure. should. Wow. Neil, I, I got to end on this last point here. Uh, in this segment, I want to talk to you about I, you. I blocked
0: out the day. And,
2: <laughs> and your longer game creative vision for yourself as a creative. And in starting at Charlie Rose in those early days, coming in, I want to be in this world. Do you had? Did you? I used to talk to this about you when you started. Did you see yourself eventually one day, like you wrote down when you were first starting, "I want to be in these places"? But in terms of your role in those places, did you see yourself eventually one day in the chair interviewing the people as somebody something that you'd be interested in doing? Or nah. or getting interviewed. <laughs> <Sorry>. Getting interviewed <laughs> is <same> weird. <laughs> we'll see how this
0: plays back. Oh, we're we doing just, great. We can cut all of this, but. Yeah, we'll see. Because you're no,
2: because you're you're a very good conversationalist. Uh, you don't have you. to be told that. You were able to charm all. You were, I think, one of your skills in in developing these segments is asking the right questions and getting interesting answers and build and you were able to build something just from conversation alone. So I always saw something that just to give you a little, you know, encouragement. I see it as something you could definitely have done. Thank you. Being in that, seat. I love
0: that. You don't need all the. I appreciate all of the bells and whistles and the gimmicks not even gimmicks, but let's say structures that people use to have these interviews, whether it's hot ones or comedians in cars or, I don't know, there's all these things. Mm -hmm. But you really just need two interesting people, intellectually curious people across from each other and Mm -hmm. listening to, whether it's 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two people talking about interesting things. Mm -hmm. I find it such a pleasure. I love that. Like if you go to a...
2: Did you ever walk after Charlie left for the day? It was an empty studio. You walk by his desk and you go Francis Underwood style. (laughs) <laughs> you,
0: sat down. you know when i when i when i dropped woody allen's name i was like who would have been worse to francis underwood there's a there you go friend i actually when you mentioned going into a mostly empty studio there was a funny moment where when i was interning i was waiting for months to have this conversation with charlie about let's get me let's get me on the payroll here you know <laughs> and so he had been saying like, you know, we're gonna talk this and that, and he's a very busy guy, whatever. And so part of the job as an intern was at the end of taping, he would always get three papers on his tape, four actually, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post and the Financial Times. And you'd lay them out and then when it was done, you'd clean up the papers, the glasses, you'd wash the glasses and you would take his prep materials off the table. So I went into the studio once in 2009, and he was mixing his papers around looking down and he goes what we're what we're gonna do is you and i let's talk and i was like finally (laughs) i was like whenever you want charlie whenever you want like i'm around and he looks up and he goes not you. And I see he still has the IFB in his ear. And I was like, oh, God, he's talking to like Warren Buffett on the other side. I, it was like such an intern moment. And I just grabbed the papers and scurried out. And I was like, of course not. Probably talking. It's like when you'd be like. You, you know, should have like,
2: I know, Charlie.
0: right <laughs> like, Not you. Probably talking to like one of the Warrens or one of the Bills. we would always be like, Clinton, Blue? you know, was it uh, Gates. Warren, like Buffett? Well, you know, think about compound interest. It's
2: all speculation. Yeah. You know? That was such
0: an intern moment going <laughs> yeah, into yeah. the studio. We'll but to answer your question, I didn't think of it at the beginning. I just loved. I loved the educational aspect of watching that show, and it was interesting to get a peek of the people behind the art. Mm-hmm. So even you mentioned this guy Tim Dillon, whose stand up might be very funny. How interesting would it be to hear him talk seriously with someone on camera with no shtick necessarily? The shtick might be fun too, but just about how he feels about all the stuff you're asking about me. Stripped down, no commercials, no He's got good guests.
2: All, I'll tell you, I could tell you
0: that. All that. And then um, <laughs> But yes. That's what I was attracted to initially. But over time I thought, sure, it would be interesting to be the one to ask questions, which is very different on camera. Mm -hmm. or on a podcast than it is in the pre-interviews that I do over the phone where I can get really dirty going down into that coal mine. You want your your questions to be a lot more crisp Mm -hmm. and economical when you're asking them on camera, whereas I can stumble through and turn around and jump around and say, oh, I'm jumping around here when I'm pre-interviewing because I'm just gathering the raw material. But when you're putting an interview on television or on podcast you want your questions to be crisp mm-hmm. and sharp and it's very different and, and more recently i have thought it would be interesting to get some repetitions mm-hmm. see if it's good yeah.
2: well i can't wait for it. the segment with neil goldman <laughs> <laughs> yeah do we you, have any good names the segment is that too buckle technical? up was my only
1: name <laughs> yeah what were Shit. the pilots Gio, what, do what do were about? the pilots you wrote that we well, we had we had some alternates right um, for our name yeah well, that's oh yes uh, small minds small minds
2: first yeah. world problems uh, mm, not so,
1: not as good for Neil
0: <laughs> no but our that were our yeah, some yeah, of what we yeah. toyed yeah. with
2: the small minds but the idea is we know nothing so yeah. we're just talking about nothing
0: yeah. <laughs> for it? some reason I ever thought if I did a uh, a weed podcast which I would never do it would right. be Neil's Nuggets and then the tagline would be high quality <laughs> nope. Neil's bad. Nuggets not the segment that's too stiff. I think it's a little stiff, but, but we could. It's an it's an iterative process. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's an iterative. What a good way to wrap
2: it up. Yeah. An iterative process. Any final thoughts? Well, you? this was the yeah.
0: this was the
1: pre-interview.
2: So right. Exactly. Gonna so we're going to. So I'm, I'm start, so yeah.
0: curious when we get up and look at the time if we'll see that we've been talking for like 11 minutes. You're like, <laughs> That felt long.
2: <laughs> for some reason, we've developed an internal clock. Or, I bet we're at an hour or seven. Because yeah, we're yeah. in this yeah.
0: bunker, we're gonna wake up and it's gonna be four in the morning. Yeah. We're gonna see like.
2: Oh my God. I I don't know why. I kind of feel when the hour's up and I'm yeah. usually we're right? I, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. what would you what time? would you
0: if we check, what would you guess? We've all have
2: experience one fifteen, I'm gonna say. I would guess under fifty seven. A little in under fifty seven, yeah. I'll say one fifteen. Yeah. I'm probably overshooting it. Cause it went by, you know?
0: Yeah. I feel like I'm hopping out of here and I'm gonna be in like Wellington, New Zealand. This felt long. <laughs> okay. No, I'm joking. Yeah, <laughs> I would say I'm joking. This was a pleasure. This I would say this was probably I would say hour 15.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. Well, Neil Goldman, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you guys for having yeah, me, me on the so podcast. Thank you so much for
1: answering
0: the questions. And, uh, I hope I did. I can hope Where
2: can people find you, or do they find you? You're still behind the scenes. When they can find you, we'll let them know. Yes?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, come on the show. Hopefully. Come on the you'll show. Hopefully you'll have it. me. You'll announce. About- the next step, you know. The
2: next step with Neil Goldman. <laughs> <laughs> we just got it. Uh, thanks for coming on, Buck. A up, pleasure. Neil. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Neil. Any final thoughts <laughs> to wrap up, or we're this up? is our
0: first handshake? Uh, Michael and I <laughs> usually do a little.
1: <laughs> the Michelangelo Sistine Chapel. Got to get in on that. <laughs> there we oh, go.